we continue with chapter two, part two, love, lust, and the messy stuff. I met my husband and his entire family when I was around the age of 18. While I was away at college, my cousin told me about a new family with five sons that had recently joined our church. When I came home for the summer, I met them for myself. His mom still recounts our first meeting at a local gas station. She was an attendant and I came in to make a purchase. When I saw the name on her name tag and recognized it as Yoruba, I greeted her in our dialect and knelt in respect. We spoke for less than 45 seconds, but the exchange made an impact apparently. I met them as a family officially at church and did not even remember our exchange at the store, but it has earned me years of goodwill in my new family. It pays to honor your elders. You never know where you will reap the reward. My husband has four younger brothers. Two of them, the second and third born, are within my age group. They were only a couple of years younger. So we had many years of hanging out in youth ministry together. We were also in the choir for years before they all moved out of town. The fourth born of the family and I became better acquainted when he joined the youth and singles ministry and our campus fellowship. He easily became my favorite of the Odetere family due to his dedication to spiritual matters. Tosin was and is beyond dependable. We could call on him to help set up the church, give rides to younger teens, teach, lead, or facilitate Bible study, and he would show up without hesitation every time. His older brothers were harder to pin down. My would-be husband was one of the harder ones to pin down. I would see him once or twice a year at our gatherings for the young adults. I assumed he did not live locally and would send my greetings to him through his family. I never even considered him as a romantic prospect. He was not on my radar at all. When I was home, I was usually already in a relationship with someone. So we did not have many seasons together when we were both available. He was also enduring his own journey of finding love, finding God, and deciding what kind of man he wanted to be. I'll let him tell that story if he ever chooses. Suffice it to say that my would-be husband was not someone I had eyes for until God decided to open my eyes to the possibility. On December 11, 2010, our entire church was invited to the graduation and pinning celebration for this man that I did not yet know I would love. Back when he was just my casual friend from church. I was excited for him and I went joyfully. We took pictures at the commencement and went back to his family's house for a small reception. After a few hours of eating cake, laughing and talking, everyone went home. I was happy for him. College graduation was a big milestone. And since I had not attended a graduation celebration for this one, I knew his was a long time coming. I rejoiced with him and thought nothing more about it afterwards. Three months later, we were at a birthday party for one of our church members' son. The birthday boy's mom had thrown him a big bash for his first birthday and asked me to emcee the occasion, which I did with joy. During the course of the party, my husband asked for my number 
Now, the old me would have jumped to all kinds of conclusions. Maybe he wants to date me. Maybe he wants to get married and have kids. Maybe he fell in love with me the very first time he saw me. When it came to romance, I had a real loose hold on reality. I would say I was borderline delusional. But the newly saved, level-headed me pumped all her brakes. He probably just got a traffic ticket and he might be looking for a lawyer, I mused. I told myself not to get excited. This could strictly be a business call. But something in my heart told me plainly, this is different. On the following Tuesday, Mr. Odetere did indeed call and it had nothing to do with business. He asked me out on our first date and I said yes. We went to my favorite cafe for lunch and ended up closing the place out hours later. We extended our date to the bowling alley and made every excuse to see each other daily afterwards. By mid-April, there was no denying our attraction to each other. As a couple, things worked seamlessly between us. Within two weeks of our first date, we were dating exclusively. Four months after he first asked for my number, my husband proposed. I was shocked. The proposal caught me completely off guard. I knew that our relationship was almost perfect by our own summation. The ease between us was unlike any other relationship I had ever had. We were genuinely great friends just months into our relationship. He became my favorite sounding board and partner in crime. But marriage? I thought even a proposal was at least another six months to a year down the line. But he knew after just four months. Shockingly enough though, I knew just as much as he did. We were it for each other. Marriage was not that far-fetched for us, even for such a new relationship. It made all the sense in the world, although I knew it would probably catch some in our circle off guard. No one outside of our family and close friends even knew we were together. I purposefully did not post us on any social media, and I never changed my relationship status. One thing that the Lord taught me while dating my husband was the importance of protecting what was sacred. Every part of me knew that the relationship between us was something that God was building. It was beautiful, yes, but it was also precious. As someone who, once upon a time, used to give the watching world a play-by-play of all my relationships via social media and blogging, I wanted to honor this new connection differently by keeping it offline. And not just offline, but out of conversations that did not honor us. I did not speak of him to anyone apart from those who were really committed to our growth as a couple. As far as anyone else knew, I was single and not dating. I never used the word boyfriend to refer to my husband while we were dating although technically that was what he was to me. The word had become such a bastardized terminology in my eyes that it could not be redeemed. Boyfriend 
was what I had called each man who had previously pulled me away from Christ. That word felt too cheap for this relationship. I jokingly called it the B word in conversations with my husband. When he proposed, he said, let's change the B word to fiance. It never occurred to me that God could write my love story that quickly. I had been dating for years, only for it to end in heartbreak or dysfunction. I always assumed that it would take years of dating before a relationship could lead to marriage. What I could not accomplish in 10 years of dating by trial and error, God did in four months of intentional obedience. I said yes to that proposal, but because of the quick nature of our courtship, I was not ready to wear the ring or be publicly engaged. It was enough for me that we knew we were planning our future together. For me, it was not time to let the world in quite yet. I knew what wearing that engagement ring signified. And although I was sure that he was the one for me, I was less sure about myself. I did not know if I had what I needed to be a good wife. And becoming a fiance after only four months honestly caught me off guard. I needed more time to pray and prepare myself. I prayed enough about the relationship before we became a couple. But for my own peace of mind, I needed to pray about our future union since I had never said those specific prayers. I wanted to know what God was saying about our impending marriage. I needed to know the strategies that would propel me through our season as an engaged couple. I needed to know what minefields were awaiting us as marriage became more of a short thing. I honestly thought I had more time, but since I did not, I had to create more time. So I asked my husband to hold on to the ring while I took some time to examine my heart. This was a far cry from the woman I was before Christ. The old me would have snatched that ring as soon as I saw the box. Who cares if I was ready for marriage or not? Let's flaunt this rock and let the haters know I got a whole man. The new me was much more protective of the future we were building as friends and partners in covenant. My relationship with my husband showed more fruit in those four months than any other I had for years before. I was still growing in godliness. I was encouraging his faith. He was teaching me how to apply Bible principles to the dynamics of our relationship simply by being himself. I was learning self-control. We were developing and sharpening our communication skills and so much more. I was elated. Eventually, I reintroduced him to my parents. They already knew him. But this time in his official capacity. He was there when my brother got married. We celebrated my 28th birthday together. We took our first road trip to Florida together. We made many memories. When my husband proposed for a second time in the beginning of the year 2012, I was ready to wear the ring. He surprised me with a proposal at the same restaurant where we had our first date, and I cried just like I did the first time. I wore my ring proudly and marveled at the future that was unfolding for us. When I got home and told my mom, she hugged me and covered me in prayers. 
I had to lead worship that evening for our weekday service and was nervous about what to do with my newly adorned ring finger. Taking the ring off did not sit well with me, but flashing a new diamond solitaire while lifting my hands in praise was sure to invite questions and comments from those who had been waiting on me to introduce a man in my life. I decided to turn the ring inside out with the diamond facing my palm and act as if my life was not changing right before my eyes. After worship, I pulled one of my sisters into our pastor's office and shared my good news. She screamed and rejoiced with me, showering me with hugs and praying for my new future. It is still one of my favorite memories of us, even though our friendship has changed drastically since that time. Even as I was basking in the glow of engagement bliss, I was still doing some soul searching. Marriage was a different ball game than dating or even engagement. I needed to know that I was fully surrendered to God, even in this new season I was walking into. Did I still want God more than I wanted the future and the man that had asked me to join our lives together? To test my heart, I would take off my engagement ring in the privacy of my room and examine my thoughts and emotions. How would I feel if in the process of this engagement, God said no? Would I feel cheated? Would I still be able to obey? If the God who asked me to sacrifice a two-year relationship now asked me to sacrifice this courtship and engagement, was I still willing to obey? The answer for me was that a future without God's leadership was not a future I wanted to imagine. I had no resources that equipped me for marriage outside of the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I did not want a home or a future that was not fully directed by God. I had done it my own way long enough to know that my will above God's will was a pathway for destruction. I only wanted my husband if God wanted him for me. With those questions answered in my heart, I asked my accountability and prayer partners to cover us in prayer. My love life was an open book for the people who were going to keep me traveling the path of godliness by His grace. If they saw something that I was not seeing, I was fully vested in hearing from them because I trusted that they were hearing from God. I made it my business to tell my business to these selected and trusted men and women. When we were struggling with our physical desires, I told them. When I was crying because of my fear of being a burden to my future husband, I told them. From my fellow leaders in campus ministry to my prayer partners in and outside of my church, I had trusted fellow believers praying us towards marriage. And I firmly believe that their prayers did much to carry us through all our challenges. My husband and I were planning a wedding while both of our parents were going through financial crisis. My parents had lost their home shortly before we got engaged. His parents would go through a similar downsize a year later. He was working for the first time as a new graduate and I was the proud owner of a fledgling business. By all accounts, we could not possibly have the means for a big lavish wedding, and my husband and I never intended on one. By cultural standards, most Nigerian weddings are huge, 
because our families are big and our networks and communities are both extensive. Weddings are a celebration of culture and family, not just a couple. So a lot of meaning, customs, and yes, money goes into the typical Nigerian wedding. But my husband-to-be and I were not willing to go into debt for our wedding. We wanted a wedding we would both love and the one we could afford. I'm sure a lot of people wondered how we would pull it off. We were cautioned by our pastors and leaders that the wedding should be small. Do not call a crowd was their exact instructions. We did our best to obey, but our respective villages of parents, extended family, church members, and etc. had their own ideas. What started with a guest list of 150 swelled to 340, but by God's grace, we pulled it off. Planning a wedding and getting married showed me better than anything else who was in my corner. Friendships that I thought would last the rest of my life fell apart while I was wedding planning. People I thought would always be a part of our village weeded themselves out by making themselves unavailable. Boundaries that were never made clear before became lines in the sand. When our wedding was over, I had a clear understanding of who would be coming with me into my next season. Some people that I thought were lifelong connections proved to be temporary pit stops in my journey towards wholeness. I honor and appreciate every person that poured into, invested in, prayed for, and celebrated my husband and I on our journey together, even if we're no longer connected. For a long time, disconnecting from people I once loved was so painful for me that if I could not pinpoint why we drifted apart, I would create chaos in the relationship, aka start some mess, just so that I know that the relationship was over for good. But God used our wedding to show me that disconnections do not have to be painful. They don't have to be messy or dramatic. Sometimes seasons just change, and it's okay to let old things fall away. It is usually an indication that new things, sometimes better things, are in the works. Being a bride allowed me to learn how to let people go without dishonoring them in their exit. Being a wife gave me the insight I needed to focus my energy on what God has given me to steward. In this case, my home and my marriage. Instead of worrying about who would come with me in the journey. I never noticed the disconnect between married and single women while I was single. Because my married friends were an open book to me. They allowed me to learn from their lives. They did not treat me like I was beneath them because of my ring finger, which remained empty. When I got married, I was determined to be as truthful and forthright with those friends who had become like family to me. I wanted them to see me live out my marriage in real time and make their own decisions about what it would take to build a successful home. When I got married and could not find the same women who had been my village for the previous three years, I was at a loss. 
marriage that should have been a season of deepening our friendship as we supported each other in a new way ended up being one of the loneliest times of my life. As my friendships with the women around me changed, I took it as another lesson learned in the transition from bride to wife. Being a bride is very public. Everyone can see the glitz and glamour. All your guests can take in your white dress, the decor, the cake, the music, and all that you put into making your wedding day your dream. But after being the center of attention of all your friends and loved ones for your wedding day, a vast majority of your loved ones will not be as visibly excited to witness the marriage that follows the big day. Everyone retreats to their separate lives and leaves the newly married couple to do the work of building their home. I would say that I had more people purposefully checking on me and holding me up spiritually, emotionally, and socially as a single woman than I did as a new wife. The same people who had prayed relentlessly for me to find the bone of my bone and be happily married no longer had anything to say or any support to offer once the deed was done. Everyone that had been so excited for me to finally find someone was not particularly interested in supporting the journey that would unfold for us once the nuptials were over. This is not me casting blame. This is my attempt to get us to see that what most of our loved ones are excited about the courtship, engagement, and the wedding itself are the exciting portions of the relationship. When it comes to the day-to-day life of marriage, the everyday work of becoming one flesh, most people who celebrated your wedding day will not be in the journey with you. Therefore, it is important to draw your own boundaries and not allow those outside of your union to push their desires for you to get married by any means necessary on you. If you do not have your own solidly defined ideas about what your marriage will entail, you will mistakenly believe that the same people who pushed you towards a wedding will be there to support you in doing the work it takes to stay happily married. And in many cases, you would be wrong. I was. My friends could not drop everything to be there for me as a new wife because they assumed that their job was to get me down the aisle. Once I was married, friends, family, pastors, and elders all left me alone to figure it out. The first few months were a struggle, socially and emotionally. Without anyone to vent to, I punished myself for any negative thoughts or dissatisfaction I had about marriage. What was wrong with me? Why was I being such a nag about things like household chores or money? We were newlyweds. I should have been satisfied with my husband's company. I didn't need friends. I tried to convince myself. All my self-talk and chiding did nothing to alleviate the loneliness that crept in as days turned to weeks and weeks turned to months with no meetups, hangouts, or check-ins with my once vibrant village of fellow believers. The one lesson that those months of early marriage taught me is one that I still carry today. 
there is no satisfaction outside of Jesus. Until I started taking my loneliness to the Lord and praying specifically for ways to combat it, I remained happily married and still deeply unsatisfied. Being married does not remove our need for deep, fulfilling friendship with others besides our spouse. If anything, it exposes whatever holes may have existed in our abilities to connect with others on a level that transcends just one season of life. I was finding that the friendships that were so easy to maintain when we were all in similar seasons of life, single, postgraduate, or in college, living within minutes of one another, became nearly impossible to foster once our various seasons changed. Once I got married and my friends graduated and moved away, my village dispersed. I had to build a new one. This concludes chapter two of Memoirs of a Nigerian in Christ. We will begin next time with chapter three, Legally Blind. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe. Bye-bye.